0: To the Here We Go podcast coming at you from Bashir We Go Studios in lovely Dallas, Texas. It is a lovely day out today. The sun's out.
1: Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Joseph. Happy birthday to you. I checked it. It is not copyright anymore. So we are legally allowed to sing that on our podcast.
0: And in case you haven't caught on, it is my birthday today. Happy
1: birthday.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Is this how you wanted to spend your 35th birthday night?
0: Recording? (laughs) Recording. A podcast episode?
1: That nine people listen to. You don't have. That was a rhetorical question.
0: (laughs) No i I think that this is a fun way to spend my birthday.
1: Oh, there you go. It's
0: not. It's not like what we did last night, going to Dave and Buster's and spending lots of money to buy a three dollar plush toy that was made in China for thirty cents.
1: Oh, that doesn't sound like a good time to you.
0: Oh no, it was fun. It was fun. It's not doing that, but it.
1: So what you're saying is this is on par with going different to kind of fun. Busters. This is a
0: different kind of fun. And it's an enjoyable fun. Otherwise, we wouldn't do it.
1: So now that you're the, um, at the ripe old age of 35, any words of wisdom that you'd like to bestow upon us?
0: Yes. For all you youngins out there, now that I'm basically 40, <laughs> which basically means I'm retirement age, which means I'm basically dead. I I do have some some sound wisdom to share. That wisdom that I'd like to share is eat more cake.
1: I literally, th- I thought that that's exactly what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> Which means we've been married a significant amount of time. If I'm <laughs> literally reading your mind at this point.
0: Yep, you could answer it for me. There you go. But but in all seriousness, I think it. Life is too short to not eat cake, to not eat cake, to not have fun, to be worried about stuff all the time. But at the same time, life is short. So if you think you want to like contribute to the world, you better do something. It's too short. Like go do it. Quit sitting around playing. I feel like playing Angry Birds.
1: You just gave two conflicting. Pieces of advice, sort of. I guess you can, I guess you can have both at the same time, they're not mutually exclusive.
0: Isn't that all life is, though? Is a oh, hey, constant Yoda, conundrum. You don't need
1: to be a fortune cookie over there.
0: Well, you know, sometimes you just have to live 5,000 years to to start seeing life for what it is. <laughs> for me, it only took 35 years, some would argue, even less.
1: Well, I have three stories to talk about, but then we also have one listener, um, question. No, how do I say it? A listener submitted story to talk about.
0: Okay. So so which do you
1: want to do first?
0: Let's do the listener submitted story.
1: Okay, this is interesting.
0: We'll see how many more listener submitted stories we get. Right,
1: right. Okay, so I'm just going to read the headline and that will kind of springboard we'll start from us. There. Right, right. After her best friend died, this programmer created an AI chatbot from his text to talk to him again.
0: Fascinating.
1: Right. Let me, see, let me get a blurb. After her best friend Roman was killed in a hit and run car accident, Kuja found herself reading through the text messages they'd exchanged. Contained in those messages were some of the things that made Roman who he was, including his unique turns of phrase and sense of humor. She wondered what would happen if she fed all of her conversations with Roman into an AI program for a chatbot to learn from. Long story short, she was successful and basically can have conversations with an AI program that sounds just like... I guess not sounds, but like in the main... Send similar right. texts. As her best friend, who is no longer here. Thought, mm. immediate thoughts.
0: Immediate thoughts is that I feel sorry for. Her. I- <laughs> she She has lost a friend. She is grieving. The only way she knows how to grieve is to try to feel connected to him. And I understand that. I get it. I'm not sure creating the AI bot will help her through the grieving process or if it will basically set her aside and make her not come to terms with the fact that her friend is gone.
1: Right. The the first thing I thought of when I read this article was uh, this TV show that you and I started watching um, called Upload on Amazon Prime, which is essentially like In the future, they can upload your consciousness right before you die into a VR, like, virtual reality computer world. Um, And in the three seasons of the show, the the still-alive family members have a very difficult time relating to the VR family members. I think it's only
0: two seasons.
1: Okay, two seasons. Um, But that's what it reminded me of. And this isn't even the same, obviously, but... To your point, like, I don't see this ending well, like maybe it helps ease the pain at the beginning, but like, ultimately, like you're, you're, you're talking to a computer, so it's almost prolonging the grieving process in an unhealthy way. Like, I don't think that that's good.
0: Yeah. It seems like it's just making it longer. And what I would say is not, it's not even helping the grieving process. It is. It is preventing. almost preventing it right, and creating this this delusion right. or this this false reality that may even make it harder
1: right and i uh, I just recently finished a book called The End of the Christian Life, which is all about um, the theology of death and dying, and it just it talked a lot about how modern culture, especially Western culture is all about either running away from death, preventing death, not thinking about death. That we've, like, lost the ability as a culture to actually, like, health process death in a healthy way. Like, if you're dying, we stick you in a hospital. Like, when you're, elder, like, super old, we stick you in a nursing home. Like, we just push these situations of dying as far away as possible. And I don't think that's—we like, we need to find a way to, like— put that back into society. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to properly deal with it.
0: I think that is one of the things that I like most about hunting and about...
1: How did everything comes back to hunting? Well, I
0: think it, <laughs> to your point about death and dying and understanding the natural process of life, that that is a very immediate you are harvesting your own food. So you are taking the animal of a life. Mm, You are taking the life of an animal. Mm -hmm. And in that way, although it is not death of a person, of a soul, even though your soul doesn't die, your, your physical body dies, that the hunting and the act of taking life and of the... Really the circle of life and that process I think helps us see the natural world, the physical world, and helps you
1: come to terms with that.
0: Come to terms with it and be more in tune with it and be more more connected to it.
1: Right. I can see that.
0: So that's why I think it it's important to to really understand that. And even something as simple as keeping a garden.
1: To see the life cycle. Helps you
0: understand that. Yeah. To see the entire life cycle. Right. From early little budding plants from their seeds all the way through bloom into the final gray, beige, stalked decay.
1: Jake does preschool at the same church that we do uh, Bible study fellowship at. So I drive to the church three times a week. And as we drive there, we always pass going and coming back from um, a funeral home and, like, the largest cemetery in Dallas. And so that's prompted a lot of conversations between Jake and I just about, like, what's a cemetery? What's a funeral home? Like, what's dying? And it's actually been interesting to have this. I mean, there's definitely some things that I've had to, like... (laughs) Uh, it's hard. It's like, I don't want to lie to him, but there's definitely things that I can tell. He's just not, not
0: ready for ready
1: to understand. Yep. Like if we talk about death, we typically talk about like great grandparents dying, like, old, like really old people and not, we haven't even crossed the bridge of like, technically like anyone can die. Cause I think our little sensitive child would be wrecked at that point.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think that's something that we need to, open up and tell him and and make him aware of. I think that that is something that will naturally come with time. But I I do think the natural process of of the life cycle I think is important. For sure.
1: I mean, I remember I was like his age when I went to my first funeral growing up. Yeah. And my parents always made it a point to take me to funerals just to kind of show that like this is a normal part of the life cycle. Yeah. Do you ever um, watch like a historical fiction? Like we we were watching The Last Kingdom a couple weeks ago. When I watch movies like that now, and I think this is just because I'm older now, I always get really sad when like a random like background person dies that you've never been introduced to because like that's a life too, Joe. And there's like a, t- a thousand people that just got wiped out in an episode that no one ever talks about. And those are real people. Nope, only me,
0: <laughs> only you, <laughs>
1: only me since alley
0: there is a difference for me between watching something on t v that I know is fiction versus real life.
1: You're not a theater kid, that's
0: why, yeah, maybe that's you it. gotta
1: you gotta get into it,
0: but before we before we jump topics, I am glad that we so while I was out hunting last weekend, I found this this right skull from a human from a from a deer it's a male deer presumably because there's antlers on it women women deer, like, female, deer female deer can ant- grow antlers really? it's quite rare but it's it's kind of one of those random traits like a hormone imbalance everyone yeah every once in a while a female deer will throw antlers
1: fascinating it's
0: not common I'm assuming this one was a male because that's more common, but I think there's a few different things. We told Jake it was a great great grandparent deer, right? <laughs> when in reality, it's a very small rack, which often <laughs> small rack equates to young, young Sorry, deer. I just,
1: in the non hunting world, when we say small rack. We're meaning something completely different than what you're talking about. Small antlers, got it.
0: Small antlers, and but I, I was a. I'm glad that we have it up so that way Jake can see it and be like, "Oh yeah, things do die. There is a full life cycle. When something is gone, it is gone." So I I want him to start early and start young, appreciating where food comes from and mm. appreciating the really the world around us and what God has created mm. so that we're not just taking for granted the food in front of us. Or
1: the lives that we have.
0: Or the lives that we have or the lives that we take to eat.
1: Mm. Love that. Love it. Story number two. This... I have had saved for a while, and I just found it <laughs> within the last five minutes, so I'm excited to talk about it. Um, okay. Uh, fossil of dinosaur killed in asteroid strike found.
0: That's it? That's all?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I was scrolling <laughs> on the phone past ads and images. Okay. Um, The limb, complete with skin, is just one of a series of remarkable finds emerging from the Tannis fossil site in the U.S. state of North Dakota. Why did it specify U.S. state? Because this is a BBC article. But it's not just their exquisite condition that's turning heads. It's what these ancient specimens are purported to represent. The claim is the Tannis creatures were killed and entombed on the actual day a giant asteroid struck Earth. The day 66 million years ago when the reign of the dinosaurs ended and the rise of mammals began. Very few dinosaur remains have been found in the rocks that record even the final few thousand years before the impact. To have a specimen from the cataclysm itself would be extraordinary. This is going to be broadcast. Oh my gosh. Get ready for it. Today it came out on BBC.
0: The rise of the mammals.
1: I thought... That was fascinating.
0: Yep, I agree.
1: That's all you had to say. About it?
0: <laughs> that's all I got to say. <laughs> I think it is. It is like the dinosaur version of Pompeii.
1: Ooh, that's an interesting way to put it.
0: And it, it, I know it's a it's a weird, weird comparison. And you're like, oh, how does that make any sense? Well, when you have a large, a large meteorite impact that size. It does send out this sonic boom and it does have a very similar almost instantaneous um, like instantaneous burial and instantaneous freezing of time kind of kind of um, response. And that is so that's why I make that comparison. It's also when we talk about Pompeii, it's so interesting because we're like, oh, what were they doing back then? Oh, we can go look at this thing and we can look at that thing. And we can see how how they had wrestling matches or how they loved this guy or or whatever. There were certain things that I remember from at some point, but we can see the same thing. It's like a day in the life of of the dinosaurs. Well, the last day in the life of the dinosaurs. Right.
1: I have two things to say. One, um, it was not until I watched that documentary about Pompeii like two months ago that sweet little Allie <laughs> realized that Pompeii um, was not like a like Neanderthal city, but actually like a city like 80, It was 80, like 72 90. AD
0: or 79 AD. Yeah,
1: which is like when... Paul and, like, the apostles were doing apostle stuff. So it was not that... I don't know why I thought it was so primitive. (laughs) The second thing, regardless of the asteroid stuff, because, you know, some people can get their knickers in a twist about that situation, but um, how cool is it that we have dinosaur skin? I mean...
0: So the really cool part about having having the skin in place is that... Now we can go from who dinosaurs were into where they are today. and we can start making those correlations of these kind of reptilian skins and start seeing really what that what that is looking like in modern life.
1: Uh, do we have other examples of like dinosaur skin? Cause didn't someone say recently that like it's more feathers than it is yeah. reptilian skin?
0: Yeah. So the, I want to say it's the Arcteris. That is, there's a company called Arcturus, and that's actually like the iconic fossil of the Arcteris something or other. It's, I think it really looks more like a velociraptor, right, but it's fully about. covered in feathers. Right. And that what the one that they found, that famous one, has feather imprints everywhere. Right, right, right. So that's when we talk about dinosaurs and and a lot of people say, oh, dinosaur chickens are modern day dinosaurs. Like that's kind of a it's an exaggerated statement, but the idea of going from a T Rex that had little arms and big legs and I guess
1: T Rexes do look like chickens.
0: Yeah. So going from a T Rex to a chicken, and then you start saying, "Oh, well, there was actually an animal somewhere in between that also had a lot of feathers." It it gets it gets more and more understandable oh, and more relatable. So when we look at these fe- these scales or skin on these reptiles. The question is, is it going to look more like a chicken leg or is it going to look more like a, I guess, like a a modern day reptile? Hmm. Because those are two very different anatomies.
1: Do this is back, go back to the beginning. Do most scientists believe that the asteroid that killed all the dinosaurs hit North Dakota?
0: No, 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 no. That is the the primary one is the Chicxulub crater,
1: in Mexico, which is
0: in Mexico,
1: right, right, right. But but this this article is about the Tanis whatever in North Dakota. So is this a different asteroid that they're talking about, or just because that asteroid had that far-reaching now, effects?
0: When you say Tanis, are you talking about the site, or are you talking about the crate, the specific meteorite? It's a
1: great question. Let me go back to the article.
0: Because to me, it sounds like that is the name of the site.
1: So it's from the Tanis fossil site in the U.S. state of North Dakota.
0: So Tanis fossil site Whoa, is it referring a picture of it. That Dang. is referring that is referring to the actual site where the fossils are being found. And sixty six million years ago, I'm now I'm not a paleontologist, but I'm pretty sure that was Chixalube.
1: Also when the heck is Sir David Attenborough going to die because that man has been around for a long time.
0: Yeah, I don't know him.
1: You don't know. He's like that British guy that does all the nature voiceovers? Oh, for documentaries, Sir David Attenborough?
0: I don't know what's going to happen when he dies. Look Who's going to do it? Wow.
1: That's like that ain't no leg. That's like a whole half of a dinosaur. Yep. Wow. I think dinosaurs are fascinating.
0: I think they are too. I like. One thing that kind of bummed me out. Originally, I was like, oh, it'd be so cool to find some dinosaur bones or like some other bones and stuff. But at SMU, there is a. And this is like the department wide. There's a pretty strong aversion to taking or even owning any type of vertebrate bones.
1: Like as opposed to like donating it to a museum or for like for research purposes? Like for like private As opposed
0: to pulling them out of the ground unless you are like part of a research project. And the whole idea there. The whole idea is that if you if you were to go find a an animal in the ground and dig it up and and take it home and have it as part of your private collection or even donate it to something like the Smithsonian. The biggest issue is if you go and do that without it going through the entire academic process of of, um, recording where it was, what it was found with, all of the different aspects of it and doing a a full official paleontological dig, then the view is that you have lost so much intellectual knowledge and academic understanding of not only that specific fossil, but the entire process and all of that information that goes along with that animal being deposited in that location. By doing that, by taking that fossil you have now done this this massive disservice to society.
1: I mean that makes sense to me. I mean think about it like anthropologically if you found like a piece of pottery, like native american pottery in the ground and you just took it home, like you can like no one can truly ever find information about that because like you don't like from an anthropological standpoint like where it is situated, like all that stuff determines everything. So that makes sense to me. I'm I agree. <laughs> I
0: agree. It's just a buzzkill. <laughs> the idea of like, oh, I'm gonna go find my own dinosaur.
1: Who says that though?
0: Uh every geologist ever.
1: <laughs> okay. Well then you should have done paleontology. <laughs>
0: I should have dug up that dinosaur before going to SMU.
1: Did you find a dinosaur? No. Oh. No,
0: just <laughs> I was like, just is this a confession? The, no, the hypothetical dinosaur that I was gonna find.
1: I don't feel now correct me if i'm wrong but i i feel like it's easier this may i feel like i'm like
0: (laughs) you feel like it's easier what
1: i'm I'm regretting even starting this conversation um i (laughs) i feel like it's easier to find rocks than it is to find dinosaur bones (laughs) it's like For example, we were at Heights Park in Richardson last weekend and found, like, pyrite and, like, imprint fossils, right? I'm not stumbling upon, like, the femur of a T-Rex every day. So I, I just feel like there's more, unless I completely am unaware of paleontology. But, like, to me it seems like it is harder to find and more rare to find dinosaur fossils than it is to find, like, a certain gemstone or whatever there are more sapphires in the world than there are t-rex teeth
0: i i don't know
1: is there a secret rivalry between paleontologists and geologists
0: no okay no (laughs) paleontologists are ultimately geologists got it okay but to your point i think there's a there's a difference because minerals form in in very many different conditions right and so depending on what you're looking for like rock salt there are we have samples from Western Australia and samples from Israel in our rock collection those are modern day samples that have formed part of it was um, part of the dead sea that somebody gave me and the other part was a salt plain on rotten island in western australia which is a modern depositional environment for salt whereas there are other things like the gemstones in your ring that the natural blue topaz only forms in like three spots in the world one of those being the 3.1 billion year old Llano Uplift in Mason County, Texas. And specifically the pegmatite portion of the Llano Uplift.
1: Right, but so I feel it, like we know where to find gemstones.
0: And we But and, we don't
1: know where to find dinosaur fossils.
0: Well, I think that is and and I hear what you're saying. There are new sites being found for finding dinosaurs there are certain aspects to that that are that i think very similar to anthropology the dinosaur bones and things associated with with prehistoric human culture they go through waves of research and that is part of the ethos of paleontology and of anthropology because the information and the science and the tools that we have today are going to be obsolete and are going to be the equivalent of using toothbrushes to dig up bones when we look 20 or 30 years into the future. So one great example is the CT scanner or the MRI machine.
1: Right, right, right.
0: That is something that now is fairly common when you're looking at paleontology and bone i guess it like sets of bones that you've dug up out of the ground typically you will do a ct scan of of a set of rocks that is holding the bones so that you can understand and see what you're about to start digging out whereas 20 or 30 years ago That would have been super high tech and only the richest of the rich projects got to do that.
1: Right, right, right.
0: So that's all part of the ethos that we're not just constantly digging up bones. But I will concede that there are one of the simple facts of animals. We are all carbon-based substances and we naturally decompose at atmospheric pressure and temperature so most things when they die they don't leave a record so even though there's been so many animals most of them ultimately just decompose fall apart and go back into the carbon cycle
1: from dust to dust
0: yeah from dust to dust
1: so i'd like to just confirm on the record on this podcast that you did concede to me though right
0: no, I said, I did not say that they are harder to find. We know There's where just to find less them. less of them. There may be less of them.
1: I'll take it. I'll take it as a win.
0: Okay, that's fine.
1: <laughs> oh, wait, anything else you'd like to say about North Dakota or fossils before moving on? I would gone?
0: like to go to the Green River Formation someday.
1: I don't know what that is.
0: Well, you can Google it the green (laughs) sorry Sorry, that that wasn't supposed to sound (laughs) sassy so you know
1: what perfect we're to replay this and you can hear (laughs) the tone of voice. what am i looking at
0: the green river formation green river so the green river formation is a it is a
1: um, it is an Eocene e- 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 geologic formation that records the sedimentation in a group of intermountain lakes in three basins along the... Why would I know what this is? <laughs> you acted I like I was an idiot for not knowing no, what it was. No, I didn't. Okay. The audio will tell.
0: But this is... This is one of those famous sites where you can find all sorts of great fossils.
1: But am I allowed to find the fossils?
0: In some places you are you can pay a fee to go dig them up.
1: So I can pay a fee to completely jump over all this academic loopholes?
0: Well, it's that's on private property and and these are
1: So you don't have to do the academic loopholes if you're on private property?
0: Well, no, that's that's the thing it's not it's not academic loopholes it is an academic ethos got it so it's not like law
1: got it but
0: now that i've been indoctrinated into that ethos you i would be shamed. i feel obligated to abide by it but
1: i haven't been so well no you just point in the right no, direction and, and i'll find it for
0: you <laughs> okay deal <laughs> but for this this is also one of those things that a lot of these animals are known and have been and have been fully kind of fully described and now it really is I mean for lack of a better term it is a it's a fossil factory is what the green river formation is so people can go there and find these museum quality
1: Is this where our fossil of the fish came yeah. from? Wow. And
0: that's where. Although it not exactly because the fossil of the fish I bought it in a state sale <laughs> okay but I only bought it for like ten bucks no so I'm, I was just, like, I'm
1: looking at the Google images and they're like crazy cool
0: yeah so really the Green River formation now is really more of a fossil factory so anybody who wants a cool looking fossil in their house or in their office will more than likely either buy one of one of something from the Green River Formation unknowingly, whether they're a geologist or not, or you will end up buying an ammonite. I think a lot of the really fancy ones now are coming out of Madagascar. This is a
1: freaking primitive horse I'm looking at right now. Yeah. This is insane.
0: It is. It's wild, the things that will come out of the Green River Formation.
1: Whoa, it's a turtle with a crocodile bite mark. But
0: But most of those have been fully defined and fully identified and described and because they've been fully described and identified, et cetera, then it's not as, it's not as imperative to make these big notes on when, where, and how you, you extracted them from the ground that. And when you look at a rock from the green river formation, you, most of the time you just kind of know that's where it came from.
1: Okay, well I have one question for you then.
0: Which fossil do I want?
1: No, have you ever thought
0: I think an octopus would be cool. <laughs> Wouldn't that be just so cool? Like an octopus cool. all soft tissue to have that fossilized would be amazing.
1: That would seems rare.
0: Yeah, that's why I want it.
1: Got it. <laughs> well, have you ever thought you know what happened to tiny houses?
0: Funny you should say that. I got an ad on Amazon today.
1: Amazon selling tiny houses.
0: Am- or I got an ad not on Amazon on Instagram that said fifteen tiny houses you can buy on Amazon.
1: Well, I was scrolling the internet and then I had like a, it tell me to go check out this article that t- was titled "What happened to the tiny house movement." Yeah, what happened and to I was it? Like, tell you know me. What? what did happen to the tiny house movement? COVID move-in? happened because I. It was everywhere. And we even went, was it the state fair or was it earth day where they had like a tiny day. house village that you could check out yep. and you were all about the tiny houses. I
0: wonder if you, this year when we go to earth day, I wonder if you'll have to pay to go see the tiny houses. We they, may not even, even be them. there. How do you so, gonna fit
1: tiny houses at the K Bailey Hutchinson convention center?
0: Parking lot all back. That's a
1: good point. Um, Tell no, me you're about right. It. COVID. They said it like, was like kind of like trending down pre-covid but then covid like shut everything down and then it was this article go and i'll include in the show notes they were interviewing some of like the early people who were like the figureheads of the tiny house movement and they um one they don't just have tiny houses spoiler alert they have a tiny house and then they have like a separate like storage house for like their other crap and then like a guest house like they have like little communes like they ain't just doing this in a tiny house which i felt lied to yeah but maybe they just like grew up because like they were like we have kids they need their own space like that makes sense that's all. So
0: their kids have their own house. Yeah,
1: yeah. And then um, they were saying so between COVID and then supply chain issues.
0: Oh, they said everyone
1: like the, cons- the construction guys who were building the tiny houses like they cannot.
0: They can't make money no, anymore.
1: Well, they don't have time to do your tiny house for you. Like they're doing other stuff. Wow. And then uh, and then they said that the movement has changed from tiny houses to uh, camper like RV life.
0: Uh, RV and that's life. Where millennials I know somebody are, doing right, My RV little life. brother
1: did that for a while. Um, and so that's where the trend has been going is not less time. Oh, but then, sorry, I'm all over the place. They said that some people are using tiny houses to like get around building code requirements. What do you mean? Well, let me see if I can find in the article.
0: I think the tiny house movement is one of those things that is great on paper and more so, it is great to think about how to minimize your stuff and how to minimize your, I guess, worldly possessions. But in reality, as as you and I have talked, even even something as simple as having a house to live in and then what you would need in order to have your camping stuff or having your bike right. or having your hunting stuff you ultimately like we probably use over 200 square feet just to store bikes and camping gear and hunting gear so how do you how do you live in a 200 foot square foot tiny house with a toddler with having any type of hobby you don't you can't
1: no oh wait sorry back to this article um one is that uh Lou Bach, who I guess is the guy they're interviewing, says due to the pandemic, which has made people reevaluate what is important, retirees, mature widows, and single women are driving much of the demand today, which cracked me up because the majority of the people that I know who have talked about tiny houses fit the bill. Fit
0: into those <laughs> yes, categories. Fit
1: into those categories. I was like, man, he's got it, man.
0: Some of them are two of the three <laughs> right. categories.
1: And then it says uh, Griswold degrees, uh... But says instead of just the novelty of people looking for tiny homes on wheels, which really drove the movement during the Great Recession, which I didn't realize that that's when the tiny house movement really got started, it was because of the 08 recession and the, how it was just like.
0: I thought it was, yeah, because of the idea of mortgages. That really is what pushed it.
1: Right. Um, then he says the camper van movement, which really has been around since the sixties is making a big comeback. People are also building tiny homes on foundations to get around code restrictions, which I,
0: as in not being able to have an RV.
1: It says, well, some jurisdictions in the West where wildfires have ravaged whole regions are becoming more lenient with codes. Lubach, who is also the president of the Colorado Tiny House Association, says the organization holds an elected official day to speak with officials about codes as they relate to tiny homes. Tiny homes on wheels or park models are thought of as RVs. Interesting. But yep. many jurisdictions are starting to think of them as accessory dwelling units, ADUs, Still, the code problems can get frustrating for people. I get that. That makes sense. Because like, yeah, I can. Yeah. Okay.
0: I think everybody knows that when I first moved to Dallas, I lived in a trailer. So I
1: don't think everyone knows that.
0: Well, now everybody does. When I first came to Dallas, this was the fall semester of 2009. I towed a... I think it was a 17 or maybe 27 or something somewhere in that range, 15 to 25 feet foot trailer from Illinois down to Texas lived in Dallas near, near love field. The trailer park no longer exists, but then back then living in a trailer park was still maybe frowned upon. It's still maybe, uh, put you into a certain category or connotative group. And I always thought it was hilarious because I'm like, I'm literally living the tiny house movement, except I'm being called something different Mm, because I still have a traditional trailer. Whereas what a trailer or a tiny house is, is a hipster trailer.
1: I was about to say, it's like, it's, it's, yeah.
0: And I have been saying that the whole time. And then when you, when you look at something like a bus renovation, that really is just an extended RV. I
1: do think it's funny that you bring that up because there are multiple like influencers of like young women who are living van life and are like making videos of them like bathing in a bucket or like, you know, not showering for three days because whatever, if they weren't influencers, you would call them hobos, right? Like they're homeless people, but now they've somehow like created this vibe around it to where it's like a cool aesthetic that people aspire to be. And it really is just your perspective. Like the only thing different, like the only difference between the two options.
0: Yep. And I'll, I'll go back a little bit further into, into my, into my past. And during my undergrad, I was awarded what's called the Udall scholarship. Some people Ready. may have heard of it. I
1: think you talked about it
0: before. It's a, it's a thing about being environmentally friendly and doing stuff for the environment. So during my season of Udall applications and and, and the people being awarded this, a huge thing was showers. So there was one guy who one part of his application was a solid two paragraphs about how he found a way to take three minute showers and ultimately convinced his entire fraternity. Wow.
1: To also
0: only take three minute showers.
1: That's huge. Well,
0: it was a, was it was this an, a
1: very stinky fraternity. It
0: was an environmental fraternity.
1: There was an environmental fraternity. That, There's fraternities
0: not, for everything. That's not
1: happening in us. So
0: that's what it was. It was an environmental fraternity. So that was like part of it. And they even, they even got to the point where they did communal study time. So <laughs> they, they gonna
1: had say communal showers.
0: So they <laughs> had, no, <laughs> Communal three-minute showers. The key to doing it that fast is everybody washing I can't. everybody else. I can't. Oh God. Ah. <laughs> no, I was going to say communal study time where they had like a, a big Great Hall table that stayed...
1: Hogwarts style.
0: That seated like 10 people. So not Hogwarts <laughs> so quite. Not at all. But like 10 people. And they had like one light. So they would have that one light on... And that was the only light in the entire house that would be on. Wow! And that's what they would all use that's to study. Commitment, man, it was. But real their commitment. parties were lit. <laughs> huh. Yeah, they only use guys, biomass. We can't
1: use any lights, <laughs>
0: guys. All no our music. parties, all our parties are bonfire only, banjos, and any instruments people bring.
1: We give each other sponge baths. It's great.
0: We <laughs> we only drink Kombucha the wine we that ourselves. we make ourselves in our reused bottles. <laughs> but i i think to to your point about showering in buckets and really that is the idea of taking super short showers or getting to the point of saying i i make a conscious decision to only shower every third day for the environment or right f- or because of xyz that becomes a status symbol.
1: Right. And that was actually a contention between you and I when we first started dating because you only showered I would 3 to 5 days, would you say?
0: I don't know, something like that.
1: Right. I truthfully you didn't smell. So I don't know why it was such a big deal for me.
0: Well, that's another thing. If I was an influencer, Nobody would be showering anymore. Yeah,
1: but you're weird because you don't have a body odor, but you don't use deodorant. I don't understand you.
0: That's called natural. <laughs> it's what happens. <laughs> you stop using deodorant, you work out, you I eat clean. I tried that Joe.
1: I cannot. I, I I on behalf of the human race, I wear deodorant. You're welcome, world. You don't <laughs> want my body odor. I'm so sorry.
0: Well, I think either way, there's, there's interesting things that I think what we're talking about is that, that larger lens or view of society, and you take something like living in a mobile home, because that's what all these things are. They, they fall into the category of a home that can move, and depending on what you call it and how you portray it to the world— ends up making it either cool or making it a, a frowned upon view of life or, or gives you a negative connotation in the world. Well,
1: And I think it's like everything, it all matters about your intentions. Right. And that's, that was always my deal with the tiny house movement to begin with was I think it's a great idea to live with less stuff. Like I, I don't like clutter. I like living as minimalistically as possible However, what I saw for the tiny house movement is it was a fad. Yep. And that's what bugged me about it is like, I don't think these people really care. They just want to look good on Instagram. And then you're going to get all these tiny houses that no one's using anymore. And it's just, you know, a whole thing. So I think, you know, if you go into anything with the right reasons, it will be good. And if you go into something with, hey, I want this to make me look better. It, it tends to end poorly.
0: Yep. I think one more thing on the tiny maybe two more things on the tiny houses maybe
1: five more things on the tiny
0: houses the first one the some of my favorite airbnbs that we've stayed in they are not true tiny houses they one were was RVBs, a yeah. one was a five wheel or a fifth wheel which is a large rv
1: that was one on the goat farm right that was the one That's on so the goat fun. farm
0: the other one that we just stayed in in la was a converted garage which is not technically a tiny house but it is Maybe, small living, yeah. maybe five, 500 square feet or less. So those would both, I would consider them falling into the small living quarters establishments. And that is something that I've enjoyed. The other aspect that you have now alluded to from this article, whenever I have talked about, oh, I want to own this ranch. I think it would be easy to have tiny houses and it would be great. The one thing I've always said is that it would be tiny houses, plural, because really you would never have more than two to four people living in a, or sleeping in a house. You would still have a storage house. Right. And you would probably, probably have some type of large communal, more open air environment for dining. dining.
1: Right, yeah. We always talked about a tiny house village.
0: So it would not... It would still maybe cumulatively be several thousand square feet, but instead of going through the effort of building one large house, you can do it modularly going $50,000 at a time, building one spot. And then as people want to have their own tiny house on the ranch, they can then put forth that effort. I, I guess I'm just, I'm tooting my own horn saying like, this is how it's really done. And that's what Jasmine, I was saying. Yeah, you know what's up. 10 years ago.
1: Right. We, we were on it.
0: Yeah. We know what's up.
1: Okay. Um, last but not least, this is from the morning brew, which we shouted out last week. The headline says the following, therapy is going viral. People are turning to TikTok and Instagram for mental health help. And this is the first paragraph that I'm going to read that's hilarious and then we can start talking about it. But there are at least four ways watching TikTok is damaging to mental health. It disrupts sleep patterns, packages validation and likes and views, gives users random dopamine hits and wreaks havoc on body image. Or at least that's what Jeff Gunther, a popular therapist who dispenses advice on TikTok, said in a recent video. (laughs) That was funny. Um, But essentially, this just goes on to say that like right now, uh, mental health like therapists are becoming really popular on tiktok where they do like group counseling in the sense of i guess they just give like mental they just health like advice. share
0: they go through questions and, and share answers i don't even
1: think they go through questions and i again i'll put this article in the um show notes well i guess they do sometimes they do answer questions but i've had some of these types of people pop up on my for you page on tiktok and i Just disclaimer, as much as I love TikTok as a time waster, I have been talking about the potential dangers of TikTok since I got on the app. Like, we all talk about social media, like the dangers of social media. I think TikTok, in a couple of years, we're going to, like, look back and be like, dear God, like, we've unleashed a beast. Because so much stuff on TikTok, especially for, like, teenagers who don't know how to determine what is fake and what is real and especially like oh let me go google this there's so much misinformation on tiktok geared towards like young people it's yeah terrifying but anyway these mental health people just give like
0: free advice
1: yeah which is like i'm glad people are getting mental health help but again i don't think tiktok is a good place for one to go to for mental health help, especially if one person is giving the same advice to like to everybody 10,000 people yep like good advice to one person is not necessarily good advice for another person yep and like well that's it's not almost good. like
0: that as as they said it's it's viral and to that it is almost like people will go in and they will take what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. And they will use that and ultimately what you're getting is that that phenomenon that I'm struggling with. And then you all confirmation bias. Confirmation bias. That's what it is. And it almost that's that's the first thing I thought of when I heard what you were saying is that people can very easily go in and listen and and wait for a question that kind of sounds like what they think they're going through. And ultimately they say, Oh. That's what I think I'm kind of going through. That's the answer I want. I must be doing it right. Right. I must be on the correct path towards being healthy. (laughs)
1: Right. Most people, I feel like most people will hear these and be like, oh, I'm doing such a great job instead of being like, oh, my gosh, they're so right. This is something I should work upon and my own self to be better. Let me do that. I will say I've just skimmed half the article and the American Psychological Association is publishing guidelines for TikTok, for, social media saying? in general, uh, publish its first guidelines for social media use by therapists. Good. The guidelines dictate how professionals should separate their online personas from the relationships they have with clients and provide mm. fact-based information when posting publicly. So at Good. least someone is doing something about yep. this. Um, however, when also I was scanning, it brought up another thing that I... Would love to rant about is it? It said that um, the popularity of mental health content isn't surprising as stigma around the topic has eased in recent years. Narcissism, burnout, and diagnoses like bipolar disorder and ADHD are thrown around in casual conversation. Okay, here's my thing. This is I'm going to get on the soapbox and unless you want to talk about it. I can easily get off of it, but the amount of TikTok videos that I've seen that talk about someone with narcissism and just people in regular conversation with me who was like, Oh yeah. Like so and sos a narcissist. Y'all I looked it up. The number I'm going to look it up right now, just so I can give it the, like everyone, the correct yeah, number. You don't
0: want to be part of fake right. news. I don't
1: want to make the, I don't want to, um, you know, be what I'm complaining about. E- Experts estimate that up to 5% of people have narcissist personality disorder. Okay. Y'all,
0: Up to 5%.
1: Which, honestly, that's higher than the number I looked up a couple weeks ago. The number I looked up a couple weeks ago was less than 1%. So anywhere from less than 1% to 5%.
0: But that's like 1 out of 20 people.
1: Right. So I'm telling you right now, you probably don't know somebody who is an actual... Diagnose narcissist they just may you know you may not like the personality or they may be selfish but like let's stop throwing around the word narcissist on every single human being i'm tired of it it drives me crazy
0: that person liked himself once and thought that he was better than one other person and eh, narcissist
1: Right. Like I'm just like, y'all, like narcissism is, is considered one of ten personality disorders, which are all rare. Like this is not something that like the normal person has. This is a major deal of someone you know actually has narcissism. And it typically means that they cannot have normal social like interactions with people. So
0: That's it. It's rare. It's rare. It's rare.
1: Right. Stop so whoever you are, stop telling me that so you're, if you're a narcissist.
0: Yeah. If everybody if everybody who has been called a narcissist is in fact a narcissist,
1: then it's a major issue.
0: Who? Narcissism is on the rise.
1: To play devil's advocate, which I love to do, it
0: is on the rise. It is- <laughs> It went from one to five and Uh, next 50 right
1: under the thing that it said up to 5%. It says narcissism is increasing in modern Western societies. And this has been referred to as a quote, narcissism epidemic end quote, the endorsement rate for the statement. I am an important person has increased from 12% in 1963 to 77 to 80% in 1992 in adolescence. That's a big increase though. Wait a minute. It Hold is. On. I may have to revise my... Uh...
0: To that point, the rise in saying I'm an important person, I would agree that everybody is important, but at the same time, nobody is important. Because when you look at the the, the, the grand scheme of the entire world, any one person, most people don't matter. Right. But if you have a significant relatively small influence group of people who are all of a sudden not there. If you all of a sudden lose ten percent of the population, that will have very significant impacts on the world. Just look at COVID in the way like something like right now we're we're shutting down Shanghai. And that is adding in fears to the supply chain. And that's not more than ten percent of the population, right, right, right. but it has a significant impact right. on the world.
1: Um, I'm going to post this article too. Um, we're not going to talk a lot about it because I haven't read it. But I, we I, can talk about it next. I'm planning on reading it because I think it sounds fascinating. Um, this, it's, it's an actual like paper. It says, "Does a narcissism epidemic exist in modern Western societies? Comparing narcissism and self-esteem mm. in East and West Germany." Okay. So one. Okay. Um, I guess we're having an issue di- like uh differentiating yep. narcissism from just pure positive self-esteem, which makes me laugh. Um, but let me just read the abstract and then we can move on. But or we can close. Narcissism scores are higher in individualistic cultures compared with more collectivistic collectivistic cultures. However, the impact of sociocultural factors on narcissism and self-esteem has not been well described. Germany was formally divided into two different social systems, each with distinct economic, political, and national cultures, and was reunified in 89 90. Between 1949 and that 1989-90, West Germany had an individualistic culture, whereas East Germany had a more collectivistic culture— The German reunification provides an exceptional opportunity to investigate the impact of sociocultural and generational differences on narcissism and self-esteem. In this study, we use an anonymous online survey to assess grandiose narcissism with the narcissistic personality inventory and the pathological narcissism inventory. That's a lot. To assess grandiose and vulnerable aspects of narcissism and self-esteem with the Rosenberg self-esteem scale in one thousand. 25 german individuals i'm interested some of y'all may have tuned out but that's how nerdy (laughs) i am i'm gonna read this i'll email it to myself
0: yeah i'm interested in that because it that was going to be the point that i made is that self-esteem is so important and knowing that in your world your input does matter but in the grand scheme of things it is not as important. Like there's this weird dichotomy there. You do matter, but at the same time you don't.
1: What makes somebody a narcissist? Because to me, someone who has high confidence in themselves, I don't see that as being narcissistic. I see I see that as having high self-worth. So I just looked it up, and I guess it's a lack of empathy for others, inflated sense of importance, the deep need for excessive attention and admiration, and perpetually troubled relationships. So I don't see that as being the same as having high self-esteem.
0: In that sense, there is a self-esteem, having a high self-esteem, and then having an elevated, inflated self-esteem. It's
1: like thinking you're better than you actually are?
0: Thinking you're better than you actually are, and perhaps thinking you're better than everybody else when like somebody who says they're better than everybody else but they're not on the same track as like bill gates or or warren buffett or
1: elon, elon musk. musk
0: if you're not on that track for your life then you're probably inflating yourself a i don't know bit.
1: i s- i feel like elon musk elon musk could be a narcissist from the very few things I've heard him say,
0: I hear what you're saying, but he is—if
1: he, anyone—kind of is
0: better than everybody. Ooh, isn't
1: that an interesting thing? Aware. So, like,
0: is he a narcissist or is he actually right?
1: Well, if a narcissist is right, are they still a narcissist?
0: I don't think so. They are just self-aware. So,
1: if I ever were a narcissist, all I have to do is then become the perfect person I think I am. And then I am therefore no longer having a mental disorder. (laughs) That seems strange to me. But
0: I think, yeah. And I think that... I
1: think that the the lack of empathy for others is a huge one. I
0: think that's like the biggest part of that. I think that's a big part. Yeah. And I think there's also an objective truth here in that there are people with incredibly intelligent IQs and who do amazing things like Elon Musk, like like uh like Steve Jobs did and like Bill Gates and they're doing these amazing things like they are bringing about this stuff and so that puts them elevated above everybody so like they have that part of saying right. yes i am better than everybody right but then to your point are they being empathetic to all of us lesser individuals
1: Right. And are you born narcissistic or is that like developed over time? So many questions. If you're a psychologist listening to this, hit me up because I got a lot of questions. Yeah, you can be
0: a guest on our show.
1: It will be the narcissism episode.
0: Yeah. Speaking of guests on the show. So we've got this, this section called Sponsor Not Sponsored. And we've got a few new sponsors, not sponsors coming in. One of them... From the lovely co host Ali Batir. This company is called urbannativeera.com. I don't know if the dot com's on there, but that's their <laughs> website. This is a company that is indigenous owned and operated. They're a clothing brand, hence, getting the hat for the sponsor not sponsored. The hat says. You are on native land. Boom. And it's just, you know, just like a sweet little reminder, like, hey, you know, Oklahoma. Yeah, it sounds Native American when you drive past Choctaw Casino. Yeah, you're driving past. uh, Well, you
1: are. We're on native land right now.
0: I know. That's the point. Like, you're wearing this hat and everybody who looks at it reads a sign pointing at them saying you're on native land. And realistically, the entire U.S., Canada, and Mexico, and going into Central and South America, much of it was was used by indigenous tribes. So, really, all of it is native land. Something to something to remember.
1: Side note: There is a free app you can download on your phone. It's literally called Native Land, and uh, you can one. It just shows you. Uh, map of everything but you can also type in your address or do your location and it will tell you exactly what indigenous tribes or like the territories that you're in and it's really interesting if you ever just want to look up like hey like whose native land am i on and then it gives you links to learn about that tribe and all that jazz
0: and speaking of native land and doing the doing the fun environmental things next week is earth day we are going to be at earth day friday I'm actually going to give a talk about geothermal energy. Woohoo. So we should all, everybody, take Friday off. Come with us. Walk around Earth Day. It's totally
1: free. It's totally free. You just got to sign up beforehand. Just
0: sign up beforehand. And if you can't go with us on Friday, go check it out Saturday or Sunday. There will be some, some groups and organizations representing Native tribes and Indigenous people. Were
1: there really? That's so cool. There will be.
0: So you should go check that out. You should go learn about what you can do for your water. Hashtag defend your drains. Previous sponsor, <laughs> well, that's, not sponsor. That's like your first one. And just go have fun and report back to us.
1: Okay,
0: bye. All right, we're done. We will talk to you after Earth Day. Bye-bye.
1: But here we go.